0: Hey, welcome to Cross Creek On Demand. We are so glad you are here. My name's John, I'm the lead pastor. We created Cross Creek to be a church for people who don't normally go to church. And so we've designed our Sunday environment, including our online environment, to be a safe place where people can discover God's love for them. We would love to connect with you when you are ready. Go ahead and scroll down and you can click ask a question, ask for prayer. Maybe you could find out how you could get here on a Sunday evening to join us live but we would love just to be a part of your journey in discovering God's love. When you're ready, we would love to see you in person. Until then, why don't you go ahead and click subscribe so you can be updated on Cross Creek's most recent messages. Thanks for joining us. If you kind of snuck in in the last song, my name's John, I'm the lead pastor here. If you're watching online, thank you so much for watching. We are so glad you are watching from wherever you are, whenever you are. Thanks for being a part of um, what's, what's about to happen. Don't, it'll be okay. Don't be scared. It's not, I know it's prepping you. but So, um, welcome. It's really good to see you guys. You are actually here for uh, a really great Sunday. Got to celebrate a baptism, which is amazing, which is awesome. That's kind of like, you know, for me, we could leave right now and it was a full day because that's just so cool. But um, I still need to get paid. So... But baptism, uh, after this service, we're having our, our barbecue potluck, which you are all invited for. Even if you didn't bring anything, you can come and get free food. That's how we roll here at Creek. We love to give stuff. Um, but also, you are here for part five, the final part in our series called Becoming. As you saw in the video, we are all becoming something, right? Who you are now is not who you were uh, Five years ago, 10 years ago, when you were in high school, uh, when you are in high school, you're not going to be the same person that you are now. We're all becoming something different. And, you know, often, often, who we we become kind of just happens, right? We just, you know, if you think back your last five years and who you've become, it's kind of more a kind of a sum of what's happened to you, right? It hasn't really been your choice of who you've become, but what if we chose who we wanted to be? And for the, and we actually chose um, values that were important to us of who we wanted to be known as and who we wanted to become. When we started this church, Cross Creek, two years ago, we said, who do we want to be as a church? Who do we want to be known as? And so we came up with five core values that we have. So that's what this series has been about, our five core values. And one thing I know about you, whether we've ever met or not, is this. You want a better life, don't you? Your life might be great, don't get me wrong, I'm not like saying, hey, your life sucks and you're terrible. But we all want a better life. We all want something better than what we have now. And really quick, one way to have a better life is to be known, is to be connected. And that's why we have connect groups here at Cross Creek. And you're also in luck because we are in the middle of signing up for our new semester of connect groups that starts in two weeks. So if you haven't signed up for a connect group in your program when you came in this, this evening, is a card where you could sign up for a connect group. You could also sign up online where it says connect. So anyway, that's one way to start having a better life, is to be connected with other people. But really, what we've been seeing in this series is that the path to a better life, the path to the life we want to have, is actually counterintuitive. It doesn't always make sense. It's not like we think it should be easy, right, to have the life we want to have, and some people just kind of luck out. It should be easy, but it's not. You actually have to work for it. It takes work. You have to do things you don't want to do in order to become who you want to become, right? Like for those of you who go and work out at the gym because you don't want to look like this, you have to do things you don't want to do to become who you want to become. Kind of counterintuitive, but nothing is more counterintuitive than I think this secret that we're going to focus on tonight, that always focusing on you Keeps you from becoming the you that you want to become. That's why you wrote it down. It's kind of confusing. Always focusing on you keeps you from becoming the you that you actually want to become. See, the more you focus on yourself, the more you focus on making yourself happy, the worse your life becomes. So you can try to get more money, try to change your looks, maybe change your personality, maybe even upgrade to a different spouse. It never works. See, think about it. If you were able to get everything you wanted to get, if you were able to look exactly the way you wanted to look, if you were able to have the life you think you want, have it all right there, right where you want it, you still wouldn't be happy. There would still be something missing. Eventually, you would still want something more. You would want something different than you have. I mean, think about it, though. Those standards of, you know, I wish I had that, I wish I had this. Where do those standards come from? From comparing yourself to someone else, don't they? They, go, they come from looking at someone else and saying, I wish I had their money. I wish I had their, I wish I looked like them. I wish I had their house. I wish my kids obeyed me like their kids obey them. Well, they're only in public. Wait till they get home. I wish I had their opportunities. I wish I had their husband. Then I'd be happy. All right? But think about this. The there that you're talking about, I wish I had their, it's never the same them. They're the same there. You're taking pieces of different people, right? I wish I had his money. I wish I had her house. I wish I had his kids, her husband, right? I wish you take all these different pieces of people and you make this ideal person you wish you could be. That person doesn't exist. Nobody has all of those. And so we find out that life doesn't, life's not fair. We're not happy. See, the thing is, when you compare Life always seems unfair. When you compare your life to someone else's, your life always seems unfair. Well, I never got that opportunity. I never got that break. You know, I never got that raise. I never had those parents. When you compare, life always seems unfair. And no one person has those qualities that you're wishing you had. Now, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, and if you say, hey, you know what? I'm just here because you know, my family invited me to this baptism or I'm just checking out Christianity or a friend invited me to watch online, I want you to know this church was designed for you. If you're like, I'm not so sure about this Jesus thing, we designed this church and this specific time for you. So you are in the right place. But whether you're a Jesus follower or not, the way to become who you really want to be isn't by getting what you want. It's by giving yourself away. The way to become who you really want to be is by focusing your life on others. It's a value that we've called outward focus. Focusing yourself outward instead of inward. And that's the way to actually the true great life that you want. And you know this from experience. You've seen this, right? Some of the happiest people you know or some of the happiest people you've heard of or read about or seen on the news or whatever— are also some of the most selfless people you've met. Some of the happiest people you know are some of the selfless people you know. Think of the most selfish person you know. Aren't they just fun to be around? Aren't they just a bottle of joy? Always happy with it, they're not, right? They're miserable. In fact, science tells us the same thing. Studies have shown I'm not gonna name them because I don't want to, you can Google it. But studies have shown that the most satisfying jobs involve caring for others, teaching others, protecting others, bringing beauty to others, like the creative pursuits. Those are the most satisfying types of jobs. Studies have also shown that there is no link between higher salary and happiness. That's not what brings you happiness. Other studies that have looked at the link between volunteering regularly and its effect on your health have discovered this. That volunteering decreases depression, heart disease, stress, and for for teenagers, it decreases drug use, and it decreases unplanned pregnancies. Kids, close your ears. Even if they're forced to volunteer. (laughs) I'm not making that up. If kids are forced to volunteer, it's actually better for them. There's less drug use and less unplanned pregnancies. You're welcome, kids. Enjoy your next, your next summer. <laughs> and volunteering also increases psychological well-being, physical health, self-esteem, longevity, and quality of life. See, here's, here is a fact, whether it's about religion, Jesus, or just volunteering anywhere, focusing on what's best for others is actually what's best for you. Focusing on what's best for others is what's best for you. Isn't that interesting? And we know that, right? There's something in us that tells us that. But why? Why is focusing on others what's best for us? Right? We shouldn't, shouldn't it make more sense that if we can get everything we need for us, then that would be better for us? But studies show that that's not true. See, we are designed to work best when we care about what's best for others. It's our, we are designed to operate best when we do what's best for others. Whether you believe that design evolved in us as part of this community thing and, you know, helping each other out, whether you think it's God-given, whether you think it's a mix of both, we are designed to operate best when we look for the best for others. The problem is this, and I think you've felt this, right? There's always a fight between what's best for us and what we think is best for us. There's always this struggle between selflessness. We know we should, right? We know we should be kind and giving and give out of ourselves. There's a struggle between selflessness and selfishness. I don't really want to get up early and go volunteer. That sounds terrible. Why would I do that? I don't want to do that. There's that struggle between selfishness and selflessness. And our natural pull is towards selfishness. If you've had kids, you know that. If you've had more than one kid living in a house together, you know your natural pull is towards selfishness. You don't have to teach your kid, hey, you need to worry about yourself a little bit more. Hey, now, I've seen you be really, really giving. Here's the thing. You really need to work on looking out for number one. Make sure you get to watch the show you want to watch. Get the snack you want to eat. You know, make sure you get more than your brother and sister so you get bigger and stronger. You don't have to teach that. It's in us. Why is that? Well, the biblical writers call that pull towards selfishness. Brace yourself. Biblical writers call that sin. Sin perfect. (laughs) Again, this is Cross Creek, you're safe, but we need to talk about sin for a second. See, biblical writers call that pole toward selfishness sin, and when we look at sin in in the biblical writings, it's always about separation. See, sin separates. Sin separates us from God, because sin really is hurting the people he made, the people he loves, so it separates our relationship with him. It separates us from each other, and it separates us from ourselves. You ever like not like what you see in the mirror or kind of have that quiet moment where you're just kind of contemplating what you've done in your life and you're like, I don't really like that. Sin separates us from ourselves. We try to hide our true selves because we're embarrassed. And sin separates us into our own self-centered world. Sin separates us into our own self-centered world where we are all trying to create, trying to create our own kingdom of happiness our own kingdom where everything is for us, where every decision is based on, will this make me happy? Will this be best for me? See, sin tells me to spend all my money, spend all my time, spend all my energy on me. Sin tells me that other people are either obstacles to my happiness, right? Oh, they're just keeping me from being happy. If I, you know, if I dropped them, if I got rid of them, then I'd, then I'd be happy. They're just this obstacle I need to get by. Or sin tells me that people are tools for my happiness. Teaches us to use others. Oh, you know, whoa, if I could, no, if I could get them, then I'd be happy, right? If I could get the right person, then I'd be happy. Oh, wow, they, they make a lot of money. You wanna come over for dinner? No, sin teaches us to use people to make our lives better. Now, the Apostle Paul, a a Jesus follower who started his life as a Jesus hater, he was like the number one Jesus hater, when Christianity first came out, he said, hey God, this is like a corruption of the Jewish faith, this whole Jesus thing, don't worry about it, I'm going to take care of it, I'm going to destroy this Christianity thing. That was his... His uh, chosen job was to destroy Christianity. Then he meets Jesus, complete turnaround, starts planting churches all around the ancient Mediterranean. The apostle Paul talks about this struggle. He calls it the struggle between life in the flesh, and we'll talk about what that means, and life in the spirit, and we'll talk about that as well. Basically, he's talking about the struggle between living for yourself or living as designed by God, living for others. And what we find in reading these writings by Paul is that if you want your life to become something more, you have to focus on yourself less. If you actually want your life to become something more, which we all do, you have to focus on yourself less. And so Paul actually talks about this in a letter that we call a book. It's actually just an ancient letter that Paul wrote to a group of Jesus followers in the Roman province of Galatia. We call it the, the Book of Galatians. And Paul had started a, a church there. It's in modern-day Turkey. He started a church there, and he uh, got these Jesus followers together, and he, he had to leave and plant other churches, and behind him snuck what, um, what Paul calls the Judaizers, these were people who had, um, they they'd kind of followed the Jesus way, but they were also very into the Jewish law. And they said, look, this Jesus thing comes out of Jude- Judaism, right? It comes out of Abraham, Moses, the Ten Commandments, these types of things. Christianity comes out of that. Jesus was Jewish. He followed the Jewish laws. So to be a Christian, you actually need to convert to Judaism, You need to become a religious Jew, which there's a whole lot of rules that go with that. But for men, that's a big deal. To become a religious Jew as a man requires a little surgery. And so these guys came into Galatia and said, look, if you want to be a Christian, you need to have this really not fun surgery and become fully Jewish. And so that kind of caused a problem, as you can imagine, and so, Paul, in this book of Galatians, is saying, look, following Jesus is not about circumcision. It's not about following the law of the Old Testament. In fact, just so you know, to become a Christian, it doesn't take circumcision. We just, we just do the baptism thing. <laughs> it's a lot easier. <laughs> so, we can, we can look into that later. But, and he actually says, look, if you are going to try to follow Jesus And this is in the Bible, okay? He says, if you're going to try to follow Jesus and you think becoming a Christian means you have to be circumcised, he says, if you're putting those rules on people, why don't you just go the whole way and cut it all off? It's in the Bible. If you're offended, good. So were the Galatians. (laughs) That's how angry he was. And so after he says, you should just go the whole way and you know do the whole deal, he says, look, this is... Is following Jesus. This is Christianity, and he says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Yeah, but Paul, what about the Ten Commandments? The only thing that counts is faith in Jesus, that you can't save yourself from this pole of sin that we're talking about, that only trusting in Jesus' death to pay that penalty for you can save you. The only thing that counts is faith, not just these good feelings, but faith expressing itself in love to others. That's the only thing that counts. Yeah, but so, so the 10, no. So like, you know, the, the whole like, you know, washing your cups and doing, no. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. A love that is not based on emotions. A love that's not based on how much good we can do. But God's love. And allowing his love to shine through us and transform us through His Holy Spirit. And so Paul lays all that out, and then he talks about this battle between life in the flesh and life in the spirit. And so he first talks about the first option we have, right? These are two different options of life we can have, life in the flesh, life in the spirit. So he talks about the first life in the flesh here. The acts of the flesh are obvious, and the flesh basically means whatever you would naturally do if left to whatever you naturally want. If left to get whatever you naturally want. Think of, like, Lord Lord of the Flies. You ever read that book? No? Okay, cool. You ever think about, like, you know, when you were in high school or middle school and all the parents just disappeared, what life would be like? That's basically life in the flesh, right? When you're left to your own devices without thinking nobody's watching, you can do whatever you want, there's no consequences, that's life in the flesh, okay? So it says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality impurity, debauchery. Isn't that a fun word? Debauchery, basically excessive indulgence in sensual pleasures. Debauchery. Idolatry, trying to get the gods to do what you want. Trying to get the gods to give you what you want by sacrificing to these idols, right? Trying to get God to do what you want by sacrificing something for him. That's most religion, isn't it? Groveling before a mighty being so that you can get what you want, even though he already knows what's going to happen and he controls everything. That's most. In fact, religion, if you think about it, this type of religion is selfish. Religion is selfish. Getting what you want from God or the gods for you. It's idolatry. It's selfishness, trying to use God to get what you want. So a hard question, which we'll come back to. You don't have to think on it too much right now. But what's your religion about? You'll have some kind of religion, some some philosophy of life. Is it about you? Is it about other people? I'll just let you sit with that one. So let's go back. Uh, Let's see, debauchery, had to say that again, idolatry, witchcraft, trying to harness the powers of nature to get what I want, or have control over others, or my world, right, witchcraft, um, doing spells, making potions or essential oils to make your life better, (laughs) you know, getting the oils from these, I'm, I'm just kidding, if you feel guilty about essential oils, we'll talk, and... That's between you and God. Maybe you should listen anyway. So witchcraft, trying to use nature to get what you want from God or the gods or to control other people. Uh, Witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, this is in the Bible, and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if you look at these things, you look at these, they're almost like cravings that we could have, right? These are cravings that could never fully be satisfied. The more you get of these things, the more you want. The more you get, the more you're like, okay, when can I have that again? When can I have that better? When can I have that more? It says the people that chase after those who live like that, and live like this means this is like their life is based on this, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And kingdom of God for Paul kind of has this right now but not yet idea of where God is in control, you are living in his kingdom, he is your king, and that can be life right now, and it is also an eternal future. And so that's kingdom of God in Paul's thinking. And it says, will not inherit the kingdom of God, the life of peace with God. Let me ask you this. Why are all those things bad? Why won't people who live like this inherit the kingdom? Well, if you grew up in church, your first answer is going to be well, because the Bible says so. All right? These were bad before Paul wrote them in the Bible that we just read. The Bible did not make these bad. Right? The Bible didn't make anything. Why are these bad? Because they are all about getting what you want at the expense of others. They're all about getting something for you, satisfying some craving, getting some kind of control for you at the expense of others. It's, all of these are about using other people. So everything these people do is about them. They've, they've given into that pull to selfishness, that life in the flesh. They've not been transformed. They have not been changed. They have not become who they were actually designed to be. And so that's option one, using other people to satisfy your desires. But then there's option number two. But the fruit of the Spirit, life in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Fruit of the Spirit, the result of following Jesus. It's what we become when we admit that being about us is not working. It's what we become when we admit that we can't actually be who we were meant to be just by trying harder. It's what we realize that when when we're left on our own, we are only about us, and we can't do anything to change that nature in us. It's who we become when we choose to trust Jesus to forgive us and to transform us. These things, the fruit of the Spirit, is what you start becoming when you choose to follow Jesus. And if you look at these, these are all rooted and doing what's best for others, aren't they? Bringing love, bringing joy, bringing peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. They're all about doing what's best for others. And opposite to life in the flesh, where you know, the more you get, the more you want, you're never satisfied, with these, the more you give out, the more satisfied you become. The more you give out of these, the more full you become. Because this is who we were designed to be. But that pull to selfishness, that sin destroys this design. It's destroyed it. But think about this. If this is how, hey, you know, that friend of yours, describe him to me, and they described you like this, would your life be better if you could be described as somebody who always shows love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, would that make your life better? If this was what you were showing, when you think about your biggest regret, would that regret have happened if this was how you could be defined? No, right? This makes your life better. Like I said at the beginning, the path to a great life is counterintuitive. Because the more selfless you are, the happier you are. The more selfless you are, the more less about you that you are, the happier you become. So my question for you, and I, you probably figured this was coming because you're in church. Where's your focus? Where is your focus? maybe not right now, but think about your last 10 days. Think about your last fight. Where's your focus? Inward? Focus is your wants, your comfort, maybe your appetites. Decisions you make, are they based on what's good for others or are they based mostly on what you want? And if others get good out of it, awesome. Are people there to serve you or are you there to serve them? You ever feel like, you know, and maybe this is for if you're maybe older, maybe retired, you've paid your dues, right? Oh, I've I've lived for other people all my life and now it's my turn. I deserve this. Is that your focus, what you deserve? How has that focus worked out for you? Have you become exactly who you want to become? You say, yes, this is exactly the life I want, all about me. I feel so fulfilled. Or maybe there's another aspect to it. Maybe that selfish religion thing we were talking about, where God is there to serve you. Maybe you've bought into selfish religion. God, bless me. Pastor, feed me. We'll feed you after the service at the potluck. Music and band, move me. Give me an experience. People, serve me. Are you worried more about, you know, God and others thinking you're spiritual than you're worried about how you treat your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, how you treat your parents? More worried about looking the right part than actually loving Maybe spending all your time with people just like you, running from Bible study to Bible study, from church to church, so that you can just always be in your nice little religious bubble. Without any time to actually get to know people who might not know Jesus loves them. See, just because we put religious words to it doesn't mean our focus isn't on ourselves. So either way, whether we're disguising it as religion or not, focusing only on you hurts everyone around you. When you focus only on you, it is at the expense of everyone who comes into contact with you because they become either obstacles or tools to your happiness. That is life in the flesh. That is the pole of sin. And so the big question is, has what you're focusing on made you more loving, more joyful, more peaceful, more patient, more kind, more good? I guess that would be better. Faithful, gentle, controlled? Is that where your focus has led you? See, Jesus invites you. Yes, you. Even you watching online. Jesus invites, invites everyone to so much more than that to a life so much better than that. See, this type of life of being defined by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control, this transforming relationship with Jesus, not a religion, but actually being known by God and knowing God, a relationship that transforms you from the inside out, it is a free gift. There's no rule you have to follow no ritual you have to perform. It's not something you can earn. This relationship isn't something that we really even deserve because like I said earlier, we all have this pull towards sin, don't we? We all have this pull towards selfishness of using others, of hurting other people to make our life, we think, better. And it separates us. It separates us from who we were designed to be. It separates us from ourselves, from others, and ultimately it separates us from God, a God who loves you, a God who is for you, a God who gave you your specific personality on purpose, for a purpose. That thing you think is funny, but you only keep to yourself because other people won't really get it, he thinks it's hilarious. That's how much he likes you. He is for you. He loves you. But you keep hurting his kids, If you're a parent, you know how that makes you feel when somebody hurts your kid. Mama and Papa Bear come out. So there's this hurting that we keep causing to other people. There's this sin that we keep having, and God has to do something about that, right? God, why do bad things always happen? Why don't you do something? Well, he wants to do something. He needs to punish that sin. If he's a good king, he can't allow, like, sin and hurting his subjects in his kingdom, He must end this somehow, but he loves you and he doesn't want to end you. So how does he end your sin without ending you? He takes it on himself. See, that's where this whole Jesus thing comes in. Jesus was 100% God, 100% human. He was actual human in human history. And he said, I am going to take those sins, those choices, the punishment that we deserve— I am going to take that. That's why the whole cross thing happened. I am going to die for that penalty. But the thing is, he didn't stay dead. He actually rose from the dead three days later, proving he was God, proving that the penalty had been paid for, proving that there is forgiveness and actual new transforming life. Simply by trusting him. Simply by trusting that payment. By saying, I can't do anything on my own. This nature I have, this pull towards sin that I have, I can't do anything to change it. I've tried. I've read the self-help books. I've gone to the class. I've gone to you know the, the counselor. I've done all of it. I still keep hurting other people, which in turn keeps hurting me. I can't do anything about it. I need you. I need forgiveness. I need this sinful nature washed away. I need to be transformed. And that comes simply by what we call faith. Not this religious zap, but a choice. Faith really just means choosing to trust. Trusting that Jesus is the one that can wash you clean. Jesus is the one that can give you that new life. It's not just knowing a lot about God. It's not just knowing a whole bunch of Bible verses or going to a bunch of Bible studies. It is trusting in Jesus to make you new. Trusting in Jesus alone to forgive you. That's what faith is. When we have that faith, we become transformed. We get a new life, a new identity. In fact, Paul put it this way. This is the last verse of the passage we were talking about. Those who belong to Christ Jesus, who put their faith in him, chosen to trust him, have crucified the flesh. the person who's always trying to hurt other people, stuck it on a cross and nailed it there and left it for dead with its passions and desires. How did they do that? Jesus. Jesus was the one crucified on a cross. That sinful nature was crucified with him. And now you can have, through this life, the fruit of the Spirit, the proof that you are a Jesus for our love, joy, peace, patience. You can have a new outward focus in your life. That's what this is all about. And if you are a Jesus follower, and you're a part of Cross Creek, that's what this church is all about. Cross Creek is not about me. Cross Creek is not about you. It's about what you can become. As you love, as Jesus loves. Church really is not about me. It's not about you. It's about focusing our time, our money, our energy, our lives on those Jesus died for. So our focus is not on us. It's not on our preferences. If you're part of a church, maybe you're part of this church, maybe you're part of another church, and you're visiting. Don't let your preferences keep people from discovering God's love. Well, I prefer it when they have the choir. Well, the person who's never been to church does not. Don't let your preferences keep people from knowing God's love. And if you're not a Jesus follower, this church, Cross Creek, is a place where you can belong before you believe. Cross Creek is a place where you can belong even if you never decide to believe. A place where we have designed it where you can explore this faith, this Jesus thing, where you can test to see if what I'm saying right now is actually true. Does Jesus really transform the way that I am describing? Is it actually true? Now for all of us, what if we took a little extra time to focus more on what's going on with our neighbors? Instead of rushing from our car to our door, we focused on how we could be for them. Instead of you know, how they might bother Or annoy us. That's what the For Salem thing's all about. Being for our neighbors. That's why we're not having this church service next week. From 9 a.m. to 12 p.m., we're gonna be at Shirley Elementary, cleaning up the campus, because they're gonna have their first week of school. The school district does a lot to make the campus beautiful and safe for the kids, but we can make it even better. We can make it something where the kids are excited to be there, where the teachers are excited to be there, where the parents are comfortable dropping off their kids. And so we're going to spend three hours weeding, hopefully painting, power washing. We would love to see everyone there. But that's what For Salem's all about. So let me ask you, what are you becoming? As we finish this, this series, what are you becoming? Who do you want to be? At the end of your life, what do you want people to say? Uh, who gets their stuff? Or... I am a better person for having known them. The way they gave changed my life. And if I could just be an ounce of what they were to other people, I would consider my, my life successful. It's basically what Jesus said here in Luke. Then he, this is Jesus. And then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple, be my follower, must deny themselves, that sounds terrible, and take up their cross daily and follow me it gets better. For whoever wants to save their life, whoever makes their life all about them, I need to save everything I can, I need to grab everything I can. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. What you thought you were going to get, you've actually lost. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit their very self? pastor that I like, to, I like to read named Andy Stanley, said this, the value of a life is measured by how much of it is given away. The value of a life is measured by how much of it is given away. Become who you want to be by focusing your life on the good of others, because great lives are focused outward. Will you pray with me? You don't have to say anything. I'll do all the work. Heavenly Father, thank you that you love us, that you are for us, that you are for us so much that you died for us. Show us how we can live for others. Show us how we can be made new in you. Now, if, if you're here, if you're watching online, you can do this too. If you're here, I, I'm not going to do anything kooky, anything ultra-religious, but I, do me a favor. Just close your eyes and bow your heads. It's more for a reflection thing than a religious thing. When I was talking about God making you new, of you can't wash away what you've done, only Jesus can wash that away, of finding forgiveness in him, of choosing to trust him, if that is something you have never had a specific moment in your life where you said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want you to transform me. I want you to give me that fruit of the spirit that, that I was hearing about. If you've never had that moment, but for some reason, today is the day you want to do that. You want to have Jesus transform you into who you were designed to be. I'm not going to make you stand up or anything like that. I just want to make eye contact with you so I know that there's somebody here who wants that life, who wants that transformation, so that I can pray with you So that I can, we can kind of talk about what that means. Is there anybody who has never made that decision but today would like to make that? If you would just make eye contact with me so I know. Yes? If you're online, you can email us and tell us all about it. Now, how about this? You are a Jesus follower. But you know that your life has been all about you at least the past year or so, and you're ready to make that change. You're ready to allow that love of God to come through. You're, you're done blocking it by being selfish. You're ready to allow that transformation to continue. If that's you, just look at me so we can pray together. Yeah? Awesome. Awesome. Anyone else? Awesome. Yeah, very cool. If that's you, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you want a great life for us, that you give us the ability to have a great life. I pray for those who have acknowledged that, you know, it's time to make life about others, not about me. I pray that you would show them what love looks like in every circumstance they're in. That you would give them the courage to forfeit what they think they deserve, forfeit what they think is their rights, and simply love others. To trust you, to be patient, to be kind, to be self-controlled. Show them the life that you designed them for. In Jesus' name, amen. You're all free to look about the cabin now. But I hope that... As you go out from here and you go to the barbecue, hopefully, potluck, whether you brought food or not, you can say, hey, my life would be better serving others. My life would be better loving others. That doesn't mean that everybody needs to wait to go last in the potluck line because I'm hungry and I want you guys to move through. Maybe let's just think about who do we want to become and how can we become that? If you have elementary-aged kids that are down in the kids' church, they will be uh, ready for you to pick them up at the basketball court, which is downstairs and outside. So a little bit different than our usual pickup, kind of make uh, room for the setup for the potluck. But thank you so much for being here. Next week, we will be at Shirley Elementary from nine to 12. If you're watching online, you're like, you know what? I want to follow Jesus. Email us. We will, make, we will make that easy process happen for you. And um, see you at the potluck. I hope you guys have a great week. Thank you so much for being here. Mm-hmm.